Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, as always, you can text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, and you can get links to the podcast, the show notes, the live stream, everything you need. I got to begin today with what I wanted to begin with yesterday, but couldn't, the Fitch downgrade of uh, U.S. bond rating. We've gone from a triple A, which is the highest rating, to double A plus, which is a better rating than the S&P gave uh, when when Standard & Poor's downgraded the country back in 2011. They went to to double A minus. The CEO there resigned afterwards. He was basically forced out. Well, the government is coming for Fitch. And the media is coming as well. And and you'll not be surprised to understand that so much of the outrage about what's happening with Fitch has come from MSNBC. Here's Joe Scarborough. Uh, And you look look at our economy. It may not be the greatest it's ever been. It's better than just about every other economy on the globe. So the question is, if you're downgrading us, I mean, I mean, are you downgrading everybody else on the planet? Uh, because there is no safer investment on the planet right now than the United States of America. This is Eugene Robinson, also on MSNBC. I don't know exactly what they're smoking over over at Fitch, but it's like they all of a sudden realize that there's some there's some political polarization in the United States, and uh, you know it's it's like oh oh shocked and and uh, and horrified. Uh, it, it it's been that way for a while. Uh, we've been to this brink of of you know default for many times now and and yes in the end we we always honor the full faith and credit of the united states and and it would be better i think if we did away with the debt ceiling and did away with this ridiculous exercise uh and 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 obviously it makes people nervous but but to to, to decide just out of the blue apropos of nothing that oh gee this is a this is a problem we got to downgrade them it just seems ridiculous to me, I'm with Jamie Dimon. It's, it's it doesn't actually mean anything. Right now, here is Jared Bernstein. He's the president's economic advisor. Secretary Yellen yesterday called this decision arbitrary and based on outdated data. End quote. And one of the main reasons she said that comes from, uh, of all things, uh, Fitch's data itself. Uh, the uh, the agency relies on a, a model in which U.S. credit worthiness deteriorated justifiably and significantly under the prior administration. Uh, part of this is is the fact that their model weights governance issues uh, uh, heavily, and governance uh, did very badly. When President Biden took office, their own measure started to track back towards AAA. If you add that observation to the economic tailwinds that are ongoing now, despite uh, uh, the uh, Fitch's, I think, out-of-step forecast about where the economy is headed, yeah. um, I think you recognize why some folks yesterday were calling this, and I'm now quoting from a bunch of different statements from mostly nonpartisan people, bizarre, inept, arbitrary, absurd, strange, yeah. puzzling timing. And what? so uh, we view that as problematic. Now, one last one. This is Janet Yellen, the Secretary of Treasury. Over the past few years, the American economy has seen an historic recovery from the depths of the pandemic downturn. Over 13 million new jobs have been created since January 2021. 
our unemployment rate stands at 3.6% near historic lows. Overall annual inflation has declined every month for the past year and our economy continues to grow. In the longer term, the United States remains the world's largest, most dynamic and most innovative economy with the strongest financial system in the world. Fitch's decision is puzzling in light of the economic strength we see in the United States. I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision, and I believe it is entirely unwarranted. All right. There's your audio that sets the stage. Warren Buffett uh, says that Fitch's downgrade touched on legitimate concerns, but it doesn't change his view in the United States. The dollar is the world reserve of currency. Uh, he spoke um, on CNBC. He's the guy so many people listen to when it comes to these new commentary things. from Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett on the rating agency's downgrade of the US long-term credit date rating basically he says he's not worried about it and it's not changing anything that Berkshire is doing in the markets right now here's a quote from him he said Berkshire bought 10 billion dollars in US Treasuries last Monday we bought 10 billion dollars in Treasuries this Monday and the only question for next Monday is whether we will buy $10 billion in three-month or six-month T-bills. That's what uh, he told us yesterday. That's been the decision that Berkshire makes every week recently. That's what he talked about in Japan when, when we spoke with him there. That's what he talked about at the annual meeting in May. Uh, this is the safest place to be. And he doesn't think that people should be worried about this. He All right. Fitch is one of several credit agencies that looks at different metrics in order to determine whether or not uh, an investment is worth investing in. And the United States treasuries are still worth investing in. Uh, AA plus is not a much of a downgrade from AAA, but what's notable here is the vast array of media outlets in the United States Echoing the Democratic partisans that this is absurd, why should they do this? Uh, you know, the media has lost its sense of skepticism when it comes to Democrats being in charge. Whenever Democrats are in charge now, the, the media circles the wagons. They treat everything uh, that Republicans do as the worst thing ever and everything the Democrats do as um, as, as you got to understand it and put it in proper context. Let me give you just a great non-economic example. This is the New York Times on the Jason Aldean song, uh, Try That in a Small Town. The history of the lynching site where Jason Aldean filmed the music video. Henry Choate, an 18-year-old black man, was hanged outside the Maury County Courthouse in Tennessee in 1927 after he was falsely accused of attacking a white girl. That's a, the, the framing for Jason Aldean. The worst thing ever, clearly the, the subtle undertones of the music are about lynching people. But now this is the New York Times with the situation in, in South Africa. The South African Black Nationalist Party has started chanting, kill the boar. The boar means the white man. This is how the New York Times covered the this from the left. Kill the boar song fuels backlash in South Africa and U.S., Right-wing commentators claim that an old anti-apartheid chant is a call to anti-white violence. But historians and the left-wing politician who embraces it say it should not be taken literally. They, they downplay anything on the left. They oversell everything on the right. The same thing is happening now. We saw it with the virus, with COVID, with, with the vaccine and all of this. We're seeing this with the economy. 
the mainstream media outlets, the people who are supposedly objective, circle wagons around the Democrats, minimize the situation. But there's clearly something going on in the economy that's not good. And you do have Congress unable to figure anything out other than how to spend. We have an economic situation in this country where the national debt continues to rise. Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans and Democrats and Joe Biden hammered out a debt limit deal. We are exceeding the rates of the debt limit deal already. Now, let's talk about what's going on in the economy. I was was talking to a friend yesterday who, you know, my flagship station in Atlanta did a big um, 36, 48-hour carathon for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, one of the largest cancer research facilities for kids in the nation, raised roughly $2 million. Uh, I want to be in 1.9. It'll probably get to about $2 million when all the donations are fully tabulated. And no one was expecting us to reach that goal because so much of the other giving in the metro Atlanta area to nonprofits is down. In fact, this is a national trend. Nonprofits around the country are seeing a um, decline in giving. We're seeing this spill out. Uh, Americans, particularly religious Americans, tend to be the most generous Americans. They tend to be giving. Um, they tend to give more than, than people who don't go to church, for example. That, that data is true. But everyone generally gives to good causes, and we're seeing a downturn in giving to nonprofits around the country. Concurrently, we are seeing campaigns not raise as much money. Donors are not writing the checks they used to write to campaigns. Now, you could say that this is because of the quality of candidates, the, the national mood, the pessimism on politics, what have you. But when you take charitable giving and you take uh, candidate campaign political giving, it the charitable and the political are both down, and down at roughly the same rate, I might add. It suggests there's something else happening. People are holding on to their money, except, you know, I, I mentioned this on social media, people are holding on to their money. And I, I got a flurry of people reply to me, said people aren't holding on to their money, it just costs too much to buy everything else. Real wages are still down about 45 to 5% when you take into account the excess of inflation over the last year. Remember, inflation going from 8% to 4% doesn't mean inflation has dropped. It just means that inflation's not inflating as rapidly. So prices are still going up. They're just not going up as fast. Wages are starting to come up, but there's still a gap between wages and uh, inflation. People are seeing this in the real world. It's costing more to buy groceries. It's now costing more to buy gas in your car. Gas prices have spiked. I was at a uh, big name uh, brand chain of gas stations yesterday that intends to have gas at reasonable prices, and it's up pretty significantly. My car requires premium unleaded. Now, I know there are people who say you don't have to, but trust me, mind the engine rattles. You can hear it if you don't. And so I'm well over $4 a gallon. But even uh, regular unleaded was like $3.55, which is significantly up from where it was a few months ago. It's up from when uh, Donald Trump was president pretty significantly. Saudi Arabia says it's going to continue withholding oil reserves. That's going to drive prices up. Gas is up. That's going to impact uh, food prices still. We're going to see food prices go up. While hiring is uh, still going well, it's starting to slow in the country. 
There are more and more predictions of recession on the horizon. And here comes Fitch and downgrades the U.S. economy. That's It's not saying the U.S. economy is bad. It's just saying there are destabilizing factors that the government isn't working on. And they're right. We have a massive, massive national debt exceeding the gross domestic product of the country. That the media shows no skepticism of this and is willing to participate in frog marching the CEO of Fitch before Congress and elsewhere to shame them, put them on a a Cersei Lannister walk of shame, uh, denouncing Fitch for downgrading Joe Biden's precious economy is really telling. We're not getting honest news and honest views from the media. We're not getting the truth. We're not getting any skepticism in the official story. We're getting nothing but the party line from the Democrats reflected in the mainstream media. And so when the economic downturn does come, I suspect what's going to happen is they're going to spend a lot of time telling us it's not really that bad, you fools, until it is really bad. And they're like, well, of course, it's been bad the whole time. What do you expect? It's the Republicans who did it. We live in an age of dishonesty where narrative trumps truth. And truth must matter most. But we're not getting that. When Standard & Poor's downgraded the bond rating of the United States in 2011, they were dragged before Congress. The CEO was forced out. Democrats pounced. The media pounced. They all savaged the S&P. I suspect the guy at Fitch... He's going to come into a world of hurt. But what I find most troubling of all is that members of the mainstream media, of the business media, they're not asking questions, that they're not raising skepticism, they're not raising concerns. Meanwhile, the American public feels it. They feel something's off. They've slowed their charitable giving. They've slowed their political contributions. They've slowed their spending. What they do have goes to basic needs, not to luxuries. And yet we continue to have an American mainstream media and business press looking absolutely skeptically at the people and their behaviors, not at the underlying economic numbers. And you really do have to ask yourself why, except you know the answer. It's all about protecting Joe Biden. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation and you may really need HR. Well, You may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They could cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. 
Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the phone number 877-973-7425. I have a story that I bet you really haven't heard because, again, so much of the media these days is about uh, the, the narrative of protecting Joe Biden's presidency without telling you everything that's going on in the world. And one of the things they do is they mention something in passing and never go back to it. They don't dwell on it. They don't fully explain what's happening. But when you say, well, the media has a government, they say, ah, but you quoted the media, so clearly we did. We've evacuated American embassies since April from Sudan, Haiti, and now Niger, the country in West Africa undergoing a coup. There has been violence and uh, economic and, and political turmoil in all of these countries. Uh, in Haiti, there's been rising violence. American citizens were told to leave as soon as possible as gang fighting has taken over the capital there. The American embassy is pulling staff. People are in retreat. In retreat. It's remarkable to me that this is not getting major media coverage. The American embassies in Sudan, Haiti, and Niger are seeing staff be pulled out by the American government. We're not holding our ground. We're showing weakness on the world stage. We have geopolitical turmoil in a, in a capital somewhere in the world, and we're pulling out the American embassy as opposed to planting our flag and sending in the Marines to protect our property. Joe Biden is leading from behind on the world stage, just like Barack Obama did, and the media continues to give him a pass. The media is so fearful of the Republicans taking back the presidency. They can't bring themselves to cover in depth the cowardice of this president on the world stage, the economic problems in this country that the middle class are still facing. They cannot bring themselves to tell the truth when the prevailing narrative must be Joe Biden is perfect and Hunter Biden's a nobody and nobody should worry about any of that. And yet around the world, the American embassies in hot spots around the world are closing down and we're running because of Joe Biden's leadership or lack thereof. Now, I want to lead you to Vision Computers because it's back to school season. Our kids start on Monday, and Vision Computers can help you get your kid a great computer. Listen, I know you can go to a big box store. You can go to one of the electronic stores. You can just buy something off the shelf. But it's not going to last you because it's not going to be set up just for you. It's not going to meet your needs. It's going to meet the generic person's needs. Vision Computers, you call them at 404-COMPUTE. They can build you the computer that you need and you want or that your kid needs and wants that meets their needs, that is upgradable over time so you don't have to keep buying new computers all the time. And then they serve as tech support. But it's not just for you and your house and back to school. It's for your office as well because Vision can be your outsourced IT department. They can build the computers for your employees and then your employees, like your kids, can call them their tech support number and be troubleshooted for problems, email, printer support, software support, viruses. They can even remote in. You don't have to take your computer to them in many cases. 404 Compute. Call them today. Ask about the Eric Erickson special. Visioncomputers.com or 404 Compute. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com, the Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. 
bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Lewis, you're going to be up first today. Welcome. Eric, I want to talk about that yellow trucking uh, closing its doors. Um, you know, that's got a lot, lot of implications behind it because more than likely what's going to happen, they're going to end up probably filing a Chapter 11 Mm-hmm. And then probably before they closed the doors, they probably had to call a couple of carriers to come in and grab the freight that was still there to cover whatever was there. But more than likely, what will happen is they'll either rename that company or sell off all the equipment to somebody else. But Yellow and Roadway and all those guys, they, they were uh, that's a completely different operation because even though it's LTL freight, they would go to East Business, say, say 100 businesses in Atlanta. They would pick all that up. They would come back to that one dock right there. And let's say it was going to go to Charlotte, Richmond, and all that. Well, they'd separate all that. And then that would go up the road. And then they would deliver that trailer up to the, to the, the Charlotte. The next guy would go up. Mm-hmm. Well, it used to be that those drivers, uh, if it was an overnight, they wouldn't have a sleeper cab. They would just go. And they would get a room, and then they'd pick up their next load and come back. That's completely different from a road truck because the road truck is paid differently. It's paid for that one load for that one truck to go one direction. Right. With that particular setup, it's in multiple contracts with different um, shippers and receivers around the country. And sort of that, that sort of freight has sort of dipped off a little bit because of most of your trucking now is straight truck loads. And, yeah, now, uh, now let, let's break loose. So let's diverse. pause real quick. Let's pause real quick so people understand that what Yellow specialized in, they call it LTL, less than a full load. So you could load the truck with multiple deliveries to multiple groups. You weren't filling up the entire tractor trailer with one big delivery to go to one location, but multiple locations. And that was their specialty where a lot of trucks are fully loaded for one location. That's correct. That's correct. That that's that's right. And just like you know, uh, FedEx and UPS, you have ABF, uh, Carolina. Those 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 two emerged together. Yeah, you know, a bunch of companies emerged together to do that because they, they saw that uh, they they were losing ground, staying independently, and there was more competition there. Better for them to pull together. But those are very very old companies. <clears throat> They've been around for a long long time. But you know the the this is the problem that we don't realize is that overregulation in our industry has caused a lot of downfall in companies going out of business. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just look at, and, at, at California and the restrictions placed on trucks headed into and out of that state now. Well, that's true. And that I, I don't think that's going to be played out as much as they advertise that because we send a lot of freight to California every week. And if that were the case, then they'd be turning trucks around. So I would say that on, on the on the 
federal DOT in California, a lot of that has to be overlooked because they're still making revenue on the IFTA and the permits that are purchased for the California running. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to me to see how this sort of stuff plays out, Lewis. That that's helpful. I gotta I gotta say one. I appreciate the phone call too. It still bugs me. It bugs me in in ways I I can't fully express that the the truck line yellow, it's use orange I, and I, for for its logo and 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 the fronts of its trucks were orange. It it wasn't yellow. I'm not colorblind, people. It was orange, and they call the company yellow, but they didn't use yellow as if they were going to be confused for being a school bus or something. That just fundamentally bugs me. I realize the company's been a 100-year-old a company, but if you're going to call yourself yellow, shouldn't you use yellow in the logo and on the front of the truck instead of all the orange that you guys used? I, I, I got nothing. Um, so I am, I'm watching a video that just took place about an hour ago at Delta Airlines 757 evacuated at Atlanta, uh, two dead mares international airport, a tire burst upon landing. They got a fire truck out there hosing down the plane as people are jumping out the plane, uh, on the, the inflatable slides. Everybody's fine. Everybody's safe. Um, and, you know, I've got to go down the slides before. Um, but I just, that, that happened a little while ago. Fascinating. All right. I, I want to move on to perhaps the most important piece written this week. I want to begin this by noting something that should be obvious to you by now. I am trying to avoid anything and everything about the indictment of President Trump. I just really think we are missing so much major news out there. I spent all day talking about it yesterday. And I want to talk about news that actually does matter. Um, that is news. It matters for some, but there's so much other stuff out there that's that's big. And this, I think, is a significant one. And I got to read portions of this. And this is David Brooks. David Brooks is a center right columnist. Uh, he's perceived by a lot of people on the right as being center left because of where his his writing style and the things he cares about. But but he's he's a fairly moderate centrist, uh, slightly conservative on social moral things. Uh, and I got to read you some of this. This is just uh, the reaction to it is is has been profound. This is in the New York Times, people. That's one reason it's so significant. This guy is read by everybody. Donald Trump seems to get indicted on a weekly basis, yet he is utterly dominating his Republican rivals in the polls, and he is tied with Joe Biden in general election surveys. Trump's poll numbers are stronger against Biden now than at any time in 2020. What's going on here? Why is this guy still politically viable after all he's done? We anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain that. It was encapsulated in a quote the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington gave to my colleague Thomas B. Edsel recently. Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they want it to slow down, maybe even take a step backwards. But if you're a person of color, a woman who values gender equality, or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963? I doubt it. In this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. 
The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarians. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot in chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with that story. But it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. So let me try another story on you. I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys. In fact, we're the bad guys. Yeah, my friends, folks, this is David Brooks writing in the New York Times, telling New York Times readers to imagine for a minute, what if we're not the good guys, but the bad guys? Here's where he goes. The story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam, but the children of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s when the authorities imposed busing on working class areas in Boston, but not on upscale communities like Wellesley where they themselves lived. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here and everybody else is forced into a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of those systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into our children who get into the same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privilege down from generation to generation. David Markovitz summarizes years of research in his book, The Meritocracy Trap. Today, middle-class children lose out to the rich children at school. Middle-class adults lose out to elite graduates at work. Meritocracy blocks the middle class from opportunity. Then it blames those who lose a competition for income and status that, even when everyone plays by the rules, only the rich can win. The meritocracy isn't only a system of exclusion, it's an ethos. During his presidency, Barack Obama used the word smart in the context of his policies over 900 times. The implication was that anybody who disagreed with his policies, and perhaps didn't go to Harvard Law, was stupid. Over the last decades, we've taken over whole professions and locked everybody else out. When I began my journalism career in Chicago in the 1980s, there were still some old, crusty, working-class guys around the newsroom. Now we're not only a college-dominated profession, we're an elite college-dominated profession. Only eight-tenths of a percent of all college students graduate from the super-elite 12 schools, the Ivy League colleges plus Stanford, MIT, Duke, and the University of Chicago. A 2018 study found that more than 50% of the staff writers at the beloved New York Times and Wall Street Journal attended one of the 29 most elite universities in the nation. Writing in Compact Magazine, Michael Lind observes that the upper middle class job market looks like a candelabrum. Those who manage to squeeze through the stem of a few precious prestigious institutions in their youth can then branch out to fill leadership positions in almost every vocation. Or as Markowitz puts it, Elite graduates monopolize the best jobs and at the same time invent new technologies that privilege super-skilled workers, making the best jobs better than all the, uh, and all the other jobs worse. By the way, I want to pause here and note, this is why the upper-income people of America are so upset about AI. 
because AI isn't going to replace your plumber or your electrician. AI can replace the guys at the top. Back to David Brooks. Members of our class also segregate ourselves in a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, D.C., Austin, and so on. In 2020, Biden won only 500 or so counties, but together they were responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties responsible for just 29% of the economy. Once we find our cliques, we don't get out much. In the book Social Class in the 21st Century, sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that members of the highly educated class tend to be the most insulated, insular, measured by how often we have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own. Armed with this kind of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but new, less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages. Like all elites, we use language and mores as tools to recognize one another and exclude others. Using words like problematic, cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign you've got cultural capital coming out your ears. Meanwhile, members of the less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. We also change the moral norms in ways that suit ourselves, never mind the cost to others. For example, there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children out of marriage, but that got washed away during our period of cultural dominance as we eroded norms that seemed judgmental and might inhibit individual freedom. After the social norm was eroded, a funny thing happened. Members of our class still overwhelmingly married and then had children within wedlock. People without our resources, unsupported by social norms, were less able to do that. It's easy to understand why people in less educated classes would conclude that they are under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault, and why they've rallied around Trump as their best warrior against the educated class. Trump understood that it's not the entrepreneurs who seem more threatening to workers, it's the professional class. Trump understood that there was great demand for a leader who would stick his thumb in our eye on a daily basis and reject the whole epistemic regime we rode in on. If distrustful populism is your basic worldview, the Trump indictment seems just another skirmish on the class war between the professionals and the workers, another assault by a bunch of coastal lawyers who want to take down the man who most aggressively stands up to them. Of course the indictments don't cause Trump supporters to abandon him. They cause them to become more fiercely loyal. That's the polling story of the last six months. Are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just a political witch hunt? Of course not. As a card-carrying member of my class, I basically trust the legal system. But there's a larger context here, and this is how David Brooks ends his column, and it's one that everybody on the left, every upper-income, highly-educated, elite college grad should pay attention to. As the sociologist E. Digby Baltzell wrote decades ago, history is a graveyard of classes which have preferred caste privileges to leadership. That is the destiny our class is now flirting with. We can condemn the Trumpian populace all day until the cows come home. But the real question is, when will we stop behaving in ways that make Trumpism inevitable? I don't know that they will. I don't know that they can. So whether it's Trump or someone like Trump, someone will carry the mantle for the middle class and the working class of America 
against these Ivy League elitists who have insulated themselves from the cares of the world and feel like we're in a thriving economy and denounce groups like Fitch for downgrading the economy because they can neither see, feel, or experience the downward pull of an economic mess they themselves have made. I got more thoughts on this later, but you really had to hear this piece amazing that was in the New York Times today from David Brooks. If you subscribe to the Daily Show Notes, of course, you would get it. Uh, You can text DATA to 33777 to subscribe to the show notes and get that. You'll even get a 15% discount. Right now, i got to tell you about Patriot Mobile. Uh, They're fighting for the working class, for Christian conservatives across America. They want to fight for you. They want to grow the conservative movement, but they need your help to do it. And all you have to do is take your cell service to them. You give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You get great discounts. You get guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers you're probably already using. But more than that, as they grow their profits, they give to the conservative movement and they grow the conservative movement. And they want you on their side. It's patriotmobile.com slash Eric. That's where you go, or 972-PATRIOT. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, you can see a detailed coverage map down to your house. You can see how good the 5G, the data, the voice is. They, again, give you guaranteed great service. They're using the same cell towers you're probably already using. And as they grow their profits, they grow the giving they give to the conservative movement. It's a great way to compound your dollars to grow the conservative movement. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Speaking of the elite. I, I got to play you this video. You're going to love this video. And, and I know my buddy Ronnie is listening right now. And you got to hear this. This is from a podcast. Um, this is uh, a Ford dealer uh, in the Midwest and what they're doing to sell elect- uh, EVs. Alan Haig is a dealership buy-sell advisor. He explains how Ford is struggling to deal with dealers who want to sell their new EVs and the absurdities that go on here. Listen to this. Ford has been <laughs> frustrating for its dealer base. Uh, you know, if you've been a Ford dealer, you might have had the store for generations. Then you have, feel I think for some dealers, I feel like Mr. Farley is trying to become Elon Musk. Right? We're just going to throw away the old business model and adopt EVs. And, um, you know, splitting the company into three parts and him deciding to run the EV side you know, okay, if you're a guy that makes 100% of your income selling ICE vehicles, I'm not sure that makes you feel great. And when they said, hey, you know, you're going to have to invest, at one point it was a million seven per store to qualify, to, to even get EVs shipped to your store. That's a significant burden for almost every Ford dealer because the average Ford store is pretty small. They sell maybe 500 new units a year. So to invest a million seven, how many EVs will you get? What will the margin get? Like the payback period is terrible. So he tells the story of a dealer up in uh, the Midwest who wanted to sell more EVs and they couldn't, the, the power company couldn't get enough power for charge stations at his lot. So he bought diesel generators and connected the electronic charging stations to the diesel generators in order to be able to have charging stations for the electric vehicles Ford wanted him to sell. That's right. Diesel generators connected to electronic vehicle charging stations. My goodness gracious. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building Alone. Check them out. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com.